Welcome to the Beyond Devices podcast. My name is Jan Dawson and with me is Aaron Miller. This is our news roundup episode for the week and it's been a fairly Google heavy week of news with their big event on Wednesday and that's going to be what we'll talk about for the bulk of this episode. But we're going to kick things off by talking about Netflix's price increase that kind of came out of the blue this week. We will then go into a deep dive on all the Google news. We'll talk about the Pixel uh, phones, Pixel 2 We'll talk about the additions to the Google Home line, and then we'll talk about some of the other things that were announced, uh, including the Pixel Book, uh, the Clips camera, Pixel Buds, and so on. And then we'll also talk briefly at the end about Sonos, which also had an event on the same day as Google to announce a couple of Alexa voice integrations uh, into its speaker line. So uh, that will be the lineup for today. And as I mentioned, we'll kick things off with Netflix. And as I said, Netflix announced a price increase this week, and uh, this is an interesting one for me because a couple of weeks ago now, I had uh, reporter Jason Abraziz reach out to me from Mashable asking me about Netflix price increases. And I kind of thought it's an odd thing to be asking about right now. They haven't announced a price increase or anything. And he was saying, how likely do you think this is? Would it be a good idea? And so on. So we kind of talked about it a little bit. And on balance, I said, I didn't think we'd see a price increase anytime soon. And he actually was the one that broke the news this week that they were doing a price <laughs> increase. So I think he must have had some kind of leak of, about the price increases a couple of weeks ago and just not mentioned that yeah. fact at the time. Um, but yeah, here comes another price increase. And the reason I'm surprised is that the the last price increase was announced something like three years ago, but didn't actually come into effect for a lot of customers until late 2016, so about a year ago. So we're only a year past the sort of tail end of the last price increase going into effect. And so it does seem a bit surprising to have it come so soon on the heels of that one. But, you know, here it is. Um, one thing that's worth noting, I did some analysis when the last price increase happened of kind of why, because Netflix's exp official explanation was, oh, we're spending all this money on content and we need to cover those costs. Uh, and last time around, it, it basically wasn't true. So the actual cost per customer had gone down over the preceding couple of years. Uh, and I can't remember the exact number, something like $6 down to $5 or something per month per US customer. And so this idea that they needed to cover all these extra content costs with additional revenue from a price increase was basically a lie. Um, but their U.S. margins have been on this very predictable path towards 40%. Uh, they've been on for several times now. They've had this long-term goal of getting to 40%. And the problem was uh, that, yes, their costs had come down and you know things were going very nicely, but they weren't any longer progressing at the same pace along that line. And so having a price increase and bringing it in in a staggered fashion over a couple of years allowed them to kind of stay on that uh, profit margin uh, line that they've been on before. Uh, this time around, in the past year, costs have gone up on a per subscriber basis in the US, but not by a dollar or two dollars, by about 23 cents. So yes, they can kind of justify it a bit more on the basis that yes, costs are rising, uh, but they're rising by less than a quarter of what they're increasing prices by for, for the core tier. Um, and you know, far less than, than the $2 increase on the premium tier. Uh, interestingly, they're keeping the $8 price the same for the base tier. But Aaron, kind of what was your take on this price increase? Uh, I, I mean, fundamentally, they have the room for it, so I can't see why they wouldn't. I, I mean, Netflix has really, has, has in the last couple of years since they first announced the price increase, has really built its original content offerings into... Um, into some really desirable stuff. I mean, I, there, there are more and more people subscribing, I think, because of original content than any of the old stuff, you know, that you find, like, you know, whatever movies and things that you can get, old TV shows. Um, the 
the phenomenon of Stranger Things, I think, is the best illustration of that. And, you know, season two comes out soon. I, I, I just think it, it's a chance for them to capitalize on the fact that a lot of people like it. And I, don't, I can't imagine anybody I know who's going to cut it because of it being a dollar more. Right. And, uh, and I also don't think an extra dollar is going to discourage that many people from signing up for it. So, right. you know, it's the sort of thing where <clears throat> the loss, you know, the, the, the loss to consumers of an extra dollar is not going to be felt in nearly the same way as the benefit will to Netflix. So, right. It, yeah, yeah, absolutely. I, I think it makes sense. And, 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 and like you said, you know, as because the cost per subscriber are going up, they've got to do it. Um, and in fact, I think it actually helps them sort of set a, set a tone or set expectations with consumers that this may happen in the future and it, it gives them more flexibility as time goes on to monkey with price the fact that they have mm -hmm. these two relatively close together right yeah sort of sets this expectation there may be a regular yeah. thing that that prices will go up as they continue to add more content and so on yeah because the old the, i mean the old piece of advice is you can always lower prices but you can't raise them mm. um the the problem is is the way netflix is hoping to grow they you know they kind of need to raise prices and uh it, and, and, re and that advice is based on setting consumer expectations, and this sets them in a way that I think a lot gives them a little more elbow room to work with. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, no, it's, it's an interesting one. I mean, last time around, they definitely saw a uh, slowdown in subscriber growth in the U.S., but what was interesting about it was they announced the price increase but said they would grandfather in older customers for quite a long period of time. And so... If you're an existing customer and you've been there for a while, you wouldn't see the price increase for a long, long time. What was interesting was they basically reported most of the impact on subscriber growth happened when it was announced rather than when the price increase actually yeah. went into effect yeah. for customers. And so this time around, rather than staggering it in that way, they're basically saying for new customers, it's October. For existing customers, it's November. Uh, so pull off the Band-Aid all at once, take the whole hit to subscriber growth and, and churn and so on in one quarter and then move on. And so, you know, that seems smart, seems to be based on what they learned the first time around. I wouldn't expect them to take a huge hit. I think they added somewhere around, it was one and a half or two million customers in the fourth quarter last year. So, you know, maybe they add a million this time around. Their growth has been slowing down anyway. So that wouldn't be altogether surprising. And in a couple of weeks time when they report earnings for Q3, we'll get their estimates for Q4, um, including whatever uh, impact they expect from this. But yeah, this shouldn't have a massive impact on them. Uh, will certainly have an impact on their average their average price per user uh, or average revenue per user, I should say, which is basically tracked very much in line with that middle tier. So, yes, they've got a few people on the base tier. Yes, they've got a few people on the premium tier. They've tended to balance each other out. Uh, with the premium tier pricing going up by $2, it's possible that uh, average revenue per subscriber will go up a little bit beyond um, the, the middle tier price per month. Um, and, that, you know, investors are clearly pretty happy about that. The share price went up quite a bit on the day they announced the price increase. So investors clearly more sort of heartened by the prospect of higher margins than they are worried about the hit to subscriber growth, which really kind of confirms what you're saying about them having room to do this. And I think most subscribers will just swallow it and quite happily at that. Yeah. And, and just one other quick thought. I think the previous strategy of grandfathering in those plans for an extra amount of time was a mistake. I think one thing that people really hate very consistently is price discrimination. And mm -hmm. uh, if you feel like you're not getting a deal by signing up for Netflix compared to your friends, it, you feel less of an incentive to sign up. I think just mm. tearing off the Band-Aid and raising the price on everybody at the same time avoids that feeling of like, ah, I'm, I'm getting a worse deal than my buddy who signed up three right. months ago. Yeah, yeah.
No, that's a good point. All right, well, let's move on to the Google News. And uh, Google held its uh, now annual hardware event in the same week of the year as last year um, on Wednesday this week and announced a slew of new hardware. Some of it was updates of uh, previously announced hardware and then some of it was brand new stuff. Uh, and as I say, this was a second uh, event. That last year's one, they introduced their first Pixel smartphones, the Google Home, uh, the Google Daydream VR, um, Google Wi-Fi, and uh, this year, uh, only one of those products got an update, and that was the Pixel smartphone, which is now the Pixel 2, and Pixel 2 XL, which is the larger version. Uh, the Home itself didn't get an update, but there are two new members of the Home family, so there's a Home Mini, which is designed to compete with the Echo Dot from Amazon, and the Home Max, which is a $400 premium audio uh, speaker, and uh, very much sort of at the same tier as Apple's HomePod, but even more expensive. They also uh, announced the Pixel Book, which is basically a successor to the original Chromebook Pixel. It was the first Google device to have that Pixel branding a few years back. Uh, and they announced two additional things. One is Pixel Buds, which is sort of a cross between AirPods and Beats X. Uh, so sort of Bluetooth headphones with a little extra something in them, uh, including sort of Google Assistant uh, integration and uh, and then clips which is a little camera that's designed to sort of sit in in your home somewhere and be somewhat inconspicuous and, and constantly be uh, looking out for opportunities to take videos and pictures um, and the idea here is that it will use AI to identify people and identify when they're smiling and when they're posing in appropriate ways and then take short videos which can be uh, broken down into individual pictures or saved as videos so an interesting sort of new category that doesn't really exist today uh, so a whole range of announcements there from Google. Aaron, what was your take overall on those announcements? I, it was way more than I was expecting. I wasn't sort of keeping my ear to the ground to get a sense of what was predicted, but it was a pretty, I mean, it, it, was, it, it was the maturation of Google moving into hardware. And, uh, <clears throat> and yeah, there was a lot more than, than I expected, and some that is kind of delightful. Um, you know, I think the Pixel Buds are a really interesting idea. I'm not sure how compelling of a of a sales pitch it is. The the you know the 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 instant translator idea. I just don't think there are that many people in that situation <laughs> where they need right. that. Mm -hmm. um, but at the same time, it is it is a delightful idea. Like I mean, it's you know, it it reminds me of the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy and the little mm -hmm. fish. You know, that Arthur Dent stuck in his ear and. And I mean, that, that's the thing I love about that is that's the future we all kind of dream of coming. The, you know, the idea that we, no matter what language anybody speaks, we can all talk to each other. Or with the, the you know, the, the little clip camera that you attach to the front of you. I, I didn't really appreciate the idea that, of how badly I wish I could have taken a picture that happened, of a moment that happened just seconds before until I became a parent. Mm. And when you're a parent, you know, there are all these moments with your kids that you're like, oh, man, I wish I had had a picture of that or even just a little video of that. Mm. And uh, and that's sort of a delightful idea that they're trying to solve that problem in a creative way. I, I will say that now that it's there and now that it's here as a product that you can actually buy and Google's selling it, it kind of creeps me out. <laughs> the <laughs> idea that there's this camera always recording and Google's AI is at work trying to figure out what to keep pictures of and I don't know, just the thought of that kind of gives me the chills a little bit. But mm. but at the same time, 
they're trying to solve a, a, a problem that I think many people have encountered. Like, ah, oh, gosh, what you know? I wish I had my camera handy to take a picture of that in that moment because it comes and goes and and you miss it. And obviously, you know, the details here will matter as to how well that device works. But but I love I love seeing these interesting problems. Um, you know, I love the idea that Google's working on solutions for them. Mm, yeah, no, it's interesting. I mean, it it feels like the two big sort of AI demos, one was the translation feature that you mentioned where the Pixel Buds offer a way to translate stuff on the fly from one language to another, which, you know, is a core sort of Google Translate function but is now sort of accessible in a different yeah. way. Um, you know, that one and then the Clips, which, you know, is, again, AI machine learning-based uh, approach to taking pictures. You know, they made for great demos and concepts and I just feel like neither of them is all that mainstream as an actual sort of user um, scenario um, and I think the challenge with clips in particular is this is, is a new product category and Google doesn't have the history the brand the presence in the hardware space to really create a new hardware product category you know if yeah. this was Apple or Amazon you know Amazon did that very successfully obviously with voice speakers um, they did it with e-readers you know they have a history uh, Google doesn't really have a history of creating new product categories you could argue the Chromecast kind of is that but it's a unique product and sort of a different take on existing product in a way. Um, this is an expensive product and, and you know, you need to sort of explicitly, you need to charge it for one thing because the battery life doesn't last all that long. So you need to charge it. You then need to place it in what a space you're going to be in for the next couple of hours um, so that it's there. And then, you know, at the end of that process, go back and plug it back in again, essentially. And at some point, then check on your phone to see what footage is actually caught and which parts you want to save. So the theory of it's great and if you could have just this ambient camera that was always there in every room of your house or every sort of public space in your house um, constantly capturing stuff that would be great but this really isn't that it's a thing with a limited battery life that you have to explicitly set up and turn on every time you actually want to use it and place it where it can have a good view of whatever it is that you're doing so it's still something you have to use much more consciously and therefore to my mind it's something that you know, I don't know, can't I just pull out my phone if, I, if, if it turns out I'm in a scenario where I do want to capture something. So as I say, I think the concept's a nice one, but it doesn't feel like it's quite there yet. It certainly feels like one that could evolve over the next couple of years to the point where it would be more compelling, but no, I think feel that's like true. that's quite there, yeah. Yeah, I agree with all that. I, I think the, bigger pro the biggest problem here, right, and I think it's embedded in what you're saying, is that both of these are products that are actually just features. I mean, the Pixel right. Buds and the Translate thing, that's a feature. It's something that it, Google already does. Mm -hmm. And they and they built a product around a feature. And they did the same thing with Eclipse. And, and, you know, there's another problem with Eclipse that just occurred to me as you were talking is if you do set it up somewhere, you know, it, it's going to have the exact same angle on dozens right. of photos yes. <laughs> mm -hmm. or videos. And, and that's yeah. not what makes photography interesting. What makes it interesting is the camera, you know, being low, high, you know, close, far away. Right. Like the the fact that a camera moves is what makes photography so fascinating, and mm -hmm. and that's obviously not going to be how this works unless you're wearing the device. And so, mm -hmm. yeah. So I don't know. I mean, these are these are products that should be features. Um, that's an expensive way to try to highlight a feature as being cool and interesting, but Google has many many times before been willing to to burn money on a feature idea. Um, to kind of see where it takes them. So I'm not surprised. Right. And and I don't think the Pixel Buds, I think they'll sell a lot more of those. The Clips thing, I think you're going to have a lot of people that are just curious. and they're, Well, not a lot. That's the problem. You'll have a handful of people that are curious about yeah. the idea of the product and 
and that's mm. as far as it will go. Google will learn a lot in the process, and who knows where it'll go beyond that. Um, but these aren't products that that really can stand alone based on those two features, because that's kind of all they offer. So. Right. Yeah. No, it's true. Yeah, and you know, I think the Pixel Buds concept. It would be easy to sort of focus on that translation and say, oh, well, that's not going to be that useful, and therefore I don't want to buy this. But the core concept is very much more like, as I say, AirPods or, or yeah. even Beats X, given the design, because uh, it's it's the neck buds, as The Verge likes to call them. You know, they are uh, not truly wireless, but, you know, two earpieces connected by a cable that kind of hangs over your neck. And to be honest, I, I have Beats X and AirPods, and I vastly prefer Beats X in many ways, and I've mentioned that on the podcast before, but yeah. just the fact that I can leave them dangling around my neck and then quickly plug them in when I need them, that I can unplug one and not have to put it anywhere or worry about losing it. Um, you know, the fact that they really fit very snugly in my ears and therefore block out sound, they're great for listening to stuff on the airplane. So, you know, I, I enjoy them in all kinds of ways, so I don't think that's a mistake at all. Um, it does mean there will be certain use cases where they're less useful. Like if you run a lot, then I can imagine neck buds being annoying because the cable would bounce on your neck. But um, for other things, they're great. Let's talk about the Pixel phones okay. uh, for a minute. That was kind of, to my mind, that was kind of the headliner of the event. You know, I think that's the thing a lot of people are focused on. Obviously, by far the biggest existing product category, even if Google sales there aren't enormous yet. Um, interesting updates here. Obviously, some changes in the hardware. Uh, two different partners this time around, LG and HTC. HTC was the original partner for the first two Pixel phones. It's now split between those two, which is interesting given that Google's just acquired uh, 2,000 engineers from uh, HTC to build the Pixel phones internally um, rather than outsourcing that. So I presume the LG relationship will come to an end at this point. But uh, uh, some advances, not huge advances though in hardware. Um, so still just a single camera, you know, in a year when Apple's on its second generation of dual cameras, we've seen LG and others come out with dual camera devices. Samsung's Note 8 has dual cameras. Um, you know, the zoom functions and depth perception and everything else that comes with that. Google's very keen on solving problems that others want to solve in hardware in software. Uh, and so depth perception is an example of that. And they, there is a hardware basis for it. They have these, this dual pixel approach that basically has a right and a left pixel for each pixel in the actual picture. And they're separated ever so slightly, but just enough that I guess there is some depth perception there. And then they do the rest in software. So last year's pixel devices had a sort of portrait mode, but it required you to move the phone around so that it got some sense of uh, what was in front of what, because uh, it basically was like monocular vision. And so uh, this is a huge advance on that. It used to take stationary pictures now and can get the same effect. And it looks like the effect's very good. So that's impressive. But of course, there's no zoom or anything from a second camera. There's there's just one X and then digital zoom. Um, and uh, so that's sort of an interesting omission this year. Uh, Smaller bezels, another big theme in smartphones this year, and the larger of the two, interestingly, has much smaller bezels. The smaller of the two has uh, much more traditional size bezels. And so uh, Google really emphasized during the event there's no feature difference between the two phones. And they sort of, there was a subtle dig there at Apple for having dual cameras and the features that come with that in the larger of the two uh, sort of standard tier iPhones. Um, but there's a $200 price difference between the two Pixel devices, so a much larger difference than we've seen in the uh, prices for other phones that come in two sizes, like the Samsung Galaxy S series and the iPhone. So kind of interesting, different approach there. Um, the, the bigger of the two is therefore priced kind of in between uh, where the sort of standard larger flagship tier is and where the super premium tier is. And so interesting decision there uh, by Google. But in some ways, one of the biggest bits of news, which kind of leaked right before the event, was Verizon is again the exclusive carrier. So 
dramatically limiting distribution in the US again. Um, I heard from somebody that it's a three-year agreement. Uh, that, that hasn't been confirmed by anybody yet, but uh, one of the reporters I talked to this week said he had heard that and was trying to nail it down. So that would be you know, surprising and disappointing. It just feels like, I don't know why Google made that decision in the first place, but they seem to have uh, uh, locked themselves into that relationship, which is really not going to benefit them in terms of distribution. But Aaron, kind of any thoughts on the, the Pixel phones specifically? Yeah, quite a few. I, I mean, I'll go first to what you were just saying. You had a great piece on Tech Pinions about how Google seems to be serious about hardware but not actually selling it. And, uh, and, and that, that's what's so weird to me about all of this, is that mm-hmm. this is a very deliberate, intensive effort to, to, to release these new phones and, and to, to hire, you know, to acquire all the HTC engineers and so on and so forth. And then doing the things like the exclusivity of the phone, of, you know, of how to get a Pixel phone and, and uh, <clears throat> any number of other things. It's just weird that they aren't marketing this more like you would expect a flagship phone company to market. So that's the first thought. And I I just have to think that's a learning curve that for some reason they're moving a little more slowly on than I think we would expected. And maybe it's just because they're an engineering-minded company and that still defines a lot of their personality um, and less so of a marketing company. So that's one thought. The the cameras are really interesting to me. Um, I know that in the first looks that people have had uh, getting their hands on this device, they've been actually really impressed with the cameras. I'm What surprises me is that the Pixels in the camera are actually smaller because of the dual pixel thing. So they're actually mm-hmm. slightly smaller, which means they're going to capture less light. And right. uh, low light performance is is the direction all the flagships have been heading, um, you know, wider apertures. And this still has an f1.8 aperture um, in it, uh, which is an improvement from last year. But then the pixels have shrunk. So that means they're, you know, you have a wider aperture, but the pixels themselves are smaller, so they capture less light. And uh, and so I'm curious how that all is going to play out um, uh, as far as like the reviews, because last year multiple people called it the best smartphone camera there is. Um, and uh, it, it'll be interesting to see if that holds up, especially when the iPhone 10 ends up out there in the wild and people are actually taking pictures with it. So yeah, that's another thought. Um, you know, I think uh, it just feels like with the whole Pixel line, there are a handful of things that Google obviously invests in and does really well, and then a whole bunch of other areas where they're kind of catching up. Um, water resistance is one of those things this year that they're catching up on that they didn't have last year. Um, cutting the headphone jack <laughs> is one of the things that yeah. they caught up on this year that they didn't do last year. In fact, last year they specifically marketed the Pixel right. in, that, in, yeah. that, in that ad, which was a pretty good ad about, you know, if you want a new phone, here's your new phone. And and then they said the headphone jack is ref- refreshingly not new. And then fast forward a year and it's gone. Um, and the camera bump too, same thing. You know, camera bumps have been around for a while because um, the flagship manufacturers have just realized that to get a camera, um, to get a smartphone camera to do what you need to do, it has to be a little bit thicker than the device um, that people would want to carry. And now they've come along with the bump too. So I don't know. I mean, it just feels like in, in many respects, there's sort of a, a year behind. Um, I don't think that makes it a bad phone though. I got to make that clear. No. I think it's actually a great, no. it's a very compelling phone. And, and if they marketed it more, I think they would sell a lot more of them. 
because it's mm -hmm. a phone I can totally imagine people wanting. I think the kind of blue color or whatever they called it is pretty cool, actually, <laughs> and unique. Mm -hmm. And I like that the power button on the side has an accent color. I think that's a creative a way to strike out as far as the design of these goes. Um, mm -hmm. So, yeah, I don't know. I mean, yeah. it's I, I definitely feel like these phones are enriching the market for smartphone flagship smartphones mm -hmm. in a way that's that is kind of pushing boundaries and, and being creative. Um, and then right. in a whole bunch of other ways, they're just sort of following a year behind. Right. Yeah, no, that's a good point. I mean, even on the water resistance, they're, they're not at the sort of same sort of go swimming right. type water exactly. resistance. It's a sort of quick splash and quickly dried off kind of level. Um, so, yeah, that they, they are behind in that sense. And, yeah, the, the headphone jack was a particularly funny one, um, given, you know, that, that was one of one area where they made several digs last year in the event. And as you say, specifically mentioned it in the advertising as well, and then just dropped it this year. Yeah. <laughs> no big deal. Just dropped it. The thing that we made a big deal out of last year. Um so yeah, that was interesting to see. But yeah, I mean, it, it you know these are really solid phones as last year's were as well. I think there is this slight tension between them trying to sell their own hardware and then make some of these AI features, which could easily be Android level or app level features, exclusives to the hardware again, kind of as they did last year. And you know that was one of the big strange strategic shifts that they made last year was prioritizing their own hardware for the first time, you know, making things exclusive to that rather than, you know, with the Nexus devices, the, the, the exclusivity was that they had new versions of Android quickly, but it was then up to every other OEM to roll out that version of Android quickly too and have the same features. But, you know, they've really kind of um, set themselves apart with some of these software features with the, with the new hardware. Let's talk about the home range. I mean, we were expecting based on leaks and so on, the home mini, so that wasn't a surprise at all. Yeah. Uh, as with the home itself, it's a much more attractive, less industrial looking uh, device that feels much more like it would be a, uh, would fit in a home rather than an office environment. Um, and uh, so in keeping with what they did with the home last year. Uh, but the Max was something of a surprise. There were a couple of reports right in the last couple of days leading up to the event sort of suggesting that might be coming. But really no indication that it would be imminent. And yet here it is, and it's really quite expensive. It's a $400 speaker, uh, and that's for one. So if you want stereo, or real sort of separation of stereo, you need two of these things. So, uh, you know, for all the fuss that's been made about Apple's HomePod announcement and how they're pricing themselves out of the market and all the rest of it, it's fascinating to see Google come in the market, not only at the same sort of premium tier, but actually $50 more than Apple's device. Um, and, you know, to me, that's indicative of the fact that a Amazon's basically left that whole part of the market wide open. They haven't tried to compete directly in that sort of premium space, which surprises me given that they're, you know, as we talked about last week, their range is now pretty um, diverse, you know, good, better, best options in the course sort of Echo range. You've got two sizes now with Echoes with a screen. You've got a couple of more specialized ones, one for taking with you, one for sort of fashion oriented stuff. You know, they've got quite a bit of range, but they have nothing in the premium audio range. And the Echo Plus is supposed to be better on audio, but it's still that same sort of cylindrical design uh, that doesn't lend itself super well to some of the really high-end audio stuff. Um, and so, yeah, it's surprising they have that market wide open. And, and Google and Apple now are kind of going in there and trying to capture some of that market, the more sort of music-centric, serious audio side of the market. Um, and, yeah, it'll be very interesting to see how that sells because... You know, Google and hardware is an interesting sales point to begin with, but Google and really high-end premium hardware is an even more interesting uh, value proposition. As we've seen with the Pixel, we may as well talk about the Pixel book now too, but the Pixel laptop, you know, a really strange product because Chromebooks sell on the basis largely of being really cheap 
laptops. And so the Pixel was always a strange product in that category. It almost felt like it was designed explicitly for Google employees uh, who had hitherto used MacBooks. And you go to Google's campus and you see lots and lots of Macs. Um, you know, those are sort of the default computers that people seem to use there. Um, but the Pixel was sort of an alternative there, and now it's back as the Pixel book and jumps on several bandwagons in terms of being convertible and having a pen. But again, it feels like sort of a strange product from Google, sort of high-end, expensive hardware, um, sort of out of where they normally compete. Yeah, and I think this is one of the biggest challenges that Google has as it moves into hardware, is establishing itself as a company that's, that's very competent at, in, in premium products. And it's in part because Google, everybody, when they think of Google, they think of free, whether it's explicitly or implicitly. Right. Free yeah. is part of Google's sort of uh, value proposition. Yeah, value proposition, exactly. Mm -hmm. like, they, like everything they do is cheap or free. And now that they're doing hardware, obviously that's not sustainable. Um, and, uh, and and to that extent, they've got to they've got they've got to make they've got to plant a stake in the ground with some high end products and try to shift the brand perception to be um, to to include this idea of we produce high quality things that you can feel comfortable spending a lot of money on. I, I, the thing is, is I, I almost feel like all this hardware stuff would be better off under a different brand. I, you know, I think mm -hmm. Google ought to keep doing what it's doing web-wise, um, and then they spin off. And, and Pixel is kind of that, but everything is Google Pixel. But yeah. I almost feel like all of their hardware line would be better off as, a, as, 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 a, as another bet, um, but uh, where they could, they could separate themselves brand-wise, because it's a tough road to hoe to try to maintain this sort of perception of, like, Google gives you free access to all these great things you, you love, uh, oh, by the way, you can also spend lots of money on us and and feel comfortable that we know what we're doing. Um, those those are two uh, brand identities that I think are in tension with all of this, um, and they would be it would just be safer and easier if they were separate brands. Right. So, right. No, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. I don't. I mean, I think the the home stuff is is really interesting. Um, again, it's. You know, when you talk about the Max, it's hard to really assess it because it's not out yet and nobody has used it. Right. And the HomePod, its its main competitor, is also not out yet and nobody's used it. Right. And it's, it's way too hard at this point to sort of evaluate whether or not Google's $400 price point makes sense. Mm -hmm. um, but to be totally honest, I just can't picture them selling very many of these things, in part because when it comes to high-end audio, brand matters immensely. And right. Apple, I think, has a good enough brand for it. Um, Google, I don't think, does. I, I think if you're in the market for something like that, you'll, and I guess this changes topics for us, you'll go get a Sonos instead because they've right. cultivated yeah. a great brand for high-end audio and smart home audio. And, uh, and there's not much of a compelling reason to think that you'd buy a Max instead of getting a Sonos um, right. speaker or yeah. system. Yeah, no, that's a great segue into our brief discussion on Sonos here at the end. And so Sonos had its own event a couple of hours before Google's event. It was in New York. Um, I happened to be in New York for other reasons this week, and so I attended that event in person. Um, and I was briefed on the announcements ahead of time as well, and so kind of had a chance to talk to executives about this and how they're going to differentiate in the market that's getting increasingly crowded. But, of course, this was all before Google came in the market. What's fascinating here is, you know, you were just talking about high-end home audio hardware and so on, and Sonos does make those products. Um, but the first voice speaker that Sonos is coming out with is actually the bottom end of its price range. Yeah. So it's a $200 uh, speaker. The Play One is now the Sonos One, 
with Alexa integration built in and Google Assistant actually coming next year as well. It will be AirPlay 2 compatible next year when AirPlay 2 launches. Um, and so that's also coming down the line. So some interesting sort of integrations there. Uh, but ultimately, this is a $200 speaker. So it's a priced above Google and uh, Amazon's core products, um, but priced considerably below the new Macs that we were just talking about and the HomePod. So, so it's an interesting space here. And the problem I think that Sonos is going to have, especially with people who haven't used its products in the past, is that on paper it's going to look a lot like the competing products that are 50 to to $100 less. And yeah. Uh, because it's going to be you know, decent but not amazing audio. It's going to be multi-room, which the others now uh, promise to do as well. Um, it's going to have integration with the same assistants as the other products do. Yes, you'll be able to use both of them, but I don't know how important that is to most people for now. I think they'd be fine with using either Alexa or the Google Assistant. So that's the challenge is kind of what unique value proposition do you have on paper? Because you know, Sonos is in Apple stores now, but Apple's going to be promoting the heck out of the HomePod. They're not going to be giving Sonos a little place to have a... Uh, Sonos one out there on display actually working uh, you go into Best Buy or somewhere these are all just going to be sitting in boxes or there'll be one display model on the shelf or something but you're not going to be able to compare the audio experience you're certainly not going to be able to compare ease of use for things like multi-room audio which is some of the areas where Sonos wants to differentiate is you know we do multi-room audio really well we've done it for years it just works uh, you know, whereas Amazon and Google, their argument is that, you know, they in theory do multi-room audio, but it's buggy and it doesn't work very well and so on. So, you know, there's a lot of subtle differentiators and it really feels like they're trying to thread the needle here with their positioning in the market. And I do worry that they don't have much sort of space to themselves in this market that's getting increasingly crowded. Yeah, I agree with that. I think the one thing it does is it helps them hedge the customers they already have. I think it, it, helps, Absolutely. it helps them protect them because there are a lot of very loyal Sonos owners um, that that sing the praises of the whole system and how it all works. Um, then again, when those people are shelling out the money to upgrade, um, which they may not do for a long time, by the way, because yeah. the basic functionality is still going to be there for everything that they like, and mm -hmm. the quality, sound qualities will stay the same for years and years. And right. so, um, anyway, so it, I, I guess it helps them build a hedge for their current customers. That doesn't seem like a winning strategy. You need to grow in a space mm -hmm. that's getting increasingly competitive. You can't just hold your ground um, yeah. and last for very long. So. Yeah, I think I think you've got it all right on all that stuff. But then again, I also don't think we can assume they're going to sit still. Um, no, and, indeed. And I think if they move more into if they move the the smart assistant integration into a more robust line, especially at the high end, um, you know, I think like like smart home companies, for example, I could totally picture them having a Sonos platform. You know, being part of the package that they offer somebody when they're building a house, like there's. There's a lot of room still for Sonos in that space, but they have to have a more complete product line to to stay competitive. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I'd expect their other products, their sort of higher-end standalone speakers and their two TV speakers to get voice uh, integration over the next few months as they sort of test this out and right. work out bugs and so on. So I'm sure they'll, they'll come in the next year or so too. All right, well, let's wrap up the episode there. Uh, thanks very much for listening, everybody. We'll have a couple of notes uh, in links and so on in the show notes. Uh, Aaron mentioned a piece I wrote for Tech Pinions about the Google event, for example, and we'll link to that there. Um, but thanks very much for listening. As always, uh, have a great weekend, and we'll be back with you with a new episode next week. Bye-bye.